God, I thank you for the passage of scripture that has been read to us, and I pray that you would guide us as we reflect upon the experience that took place thousands of years ago, and to be able to understand what that means for us today here in this community. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Have you ever dreamt about having the the perfect house? What would your dream house look like? If you were able to build exactly what you wanted, there was no limitations in terms of, of money or space or anything like that, you could just build whatever you want, what would that look like? Well, for myself, I happen to really like older houses. I love the the majesty of those beautiful old homes. They just have a, a certain character to them. Yeah, new houses are nice, but uh, I have seen and, and have uh, lived in some old houses. We actually uh, used to, uh, when we Amanda and I first got married, uh, we lived in a house, and I think the first part uh, was built in 1858, and the new section was 1860. So that's where we had the modern section there in 1860. And uh, it was a great place. It was just a beautiful home to be in, super high ceilings, uh, amazing trim in it. It was just beautiful. Uh, and so we really liked it. Uh, however, I also know that older homes come with their challenges. And that was true of that that house that we uh, were renting when we first got married. Uh, we had one particular very hot summer, and uh, someone had given us a air conditioner because we couldn't afford to buy one, so someone gave one to us, and we put it in the uh, into the window and plugged it in. However, the electrical system in that house really wasn't built for that air conditioner. And so what would happen is we could have the air conditioner on so that it was making noise, but not actually cooling anything. And as soon as we just turned it up just a little bit, just enough to get things a little bit cool, it would blow the breaker and then we'd have to restart everything again. And so we saw that there was limitations with those older homes. When we find that even in a church uh, this old, uh, every once in a while we're encountering something, some of the challenges of having a older, uh, an older building. So if I had my dream home, if I could do whatever I wanted with no limitations. I would probably go to an architect and and take them to one of these uh, amazing, beautiful old houses to say, I want you to take a look at that. I want you to duplicate that, but with everything updated in terms of everything working fine and and the electrical system and, and of course the air conditioning and all those things working nice, but to still have the character of those old homes. That's what I would do. Maybe your dream house would look completely different. But what would God's dream house look like? If he could have the house that he wanted, what would it look like? Well, uh, God has a dream house because he gives in the Old Testament uh, uh, directions about what the Israelites were to do when they built their temple. Now, the problem is that God's house has been destroyed, not once, but twice. The first time by the Babylonians and the second time by the Romans. So his temple no longer exists. But the message about his temple is still relevant to us today. And so we're going to look at uh, a situation that took place uh, just after the destruction of the first temple 
and we're going to take a look at what was happening in the time of Haggai. Now, as we've been going through the minor prophets, we've actually been bouncing back and forth a little bit in time. So I really want to update you as to where we are in the story. So uh, uh, Israel had fallen to the Assyrians. Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah had been captured by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians came and they took over Jerusalem. And not only did they take over Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple. The temple came down. And that was just devastating to the Hebrew people because the temple was not just a building. It wasn't just a worship site. It was the one place where offerings and sacrifices could take place. Without that, they could not offer sacrifice. And their whole system of worship revolved around sacrifice. So this was absolutely devastating that the temple came down. And not only did the temple come down, the Babylonians exiled many of the people, many of the Jewish people there, because they were trying to set up a situation in which the Jews would be unlikely to rebel. And so they thought, well, if the Jews are forced to live in another area of the Babylonian empire, they're not going to be feeling that urge to to rebel against the Babylonians and to retake their land. So that's the situation in which we find ourselves. Now, uh, the Persians ended up taking over from the Babylonians, and the Persians had a totally different foreign policy. Uh, whereas the Babylonians sought to rule by fear, saying, you listen to us, or we will destroy you, and we will kill your people, and we will do all these bad things. The Persians sought to rule by uh, being respectful towards their their subjects and to earn their loyalty. And so the Persians actually allowed the Jews to leave from Babylon and to go back to Jerusalem and Judah. And not only were the Persians allowing them to go back, they were actually providing some of the financial and other resources for them to rebuild in Jerusalem. So it was an amazing opportunity that they had. And the Jews did come back. Some of them came back. And the first thing that they did was to rebuild the walls because that was essential in that time. You really didn't have any sense of security unless you were able to have a walled city. So they put all their effort into the wall. And it was on their list to get that temple rebuilt but eventually, they just kind of ran out of steam. Uh, they just stopped the work and everything let loose. Uh, perhaps you've experienced that in your own life. Uh, maybe you started a project at your house, and you're all excited, and you went, and you got uh, all the uh, the wood or and the nails and the screws and everything else, and you got it all put together, and it's all ready to go. It's in a big pile there, and you're all excited. You may have started the demolition on something, and then life just happened. You just didn't get around to finishing it. So you have that uh, wall that's not been painted or that trim has not been put up yet. Uh, you just kind of let things go. Or maybe you've seen on a larger scale something in the city where uh, there's been plans to build something and maybe something has happened. Uh, financing fell through or whatever. And uh, you see a, a half-built project that's just sitting there, uh, not useful for anything because it hasn't been completed. Well, that's kind of the situation that has happened with the temple. Uh, they were very excited when they got the word from the Persians that they could go back to Jerusalem. 
they were finally going to be able to rebuild the temple. They were going to be able to offer the sacrifices that were the cornerstone of their worship. But life happened. They just stopped the work. But God was the boss. And when you have God as your boss, you have to finish the job. And so he spoke through his prophet Haggai. And he spoke specifically to two individuals that who you may not be aware of, but they're actually pretty important in this era of the Bible. It's Zerubbabel and Joshua. Now, Zerubbabel, I just love saying that name. It just, it just rolls off my mouth. There's some of these Hebrew names that are really hard for me to pronounce, but I find that I just start to say the name and my lips take over and it just happens. Zerubbabel. And you're going to be saying it for the rest of the day. Uh, Zerubbabel, was a descendant of David, but he wasn't a king. He was actually appointed by the Persians to be the government. So his rule was definitely not like the king. He didn't have as much freedom or authority as the kings had, even though he was a descendant of David. Uh, he was uh, appointed by the Persians, and he was responsible to the Persians. He ruled by their grace. That was the way things worked. And the other person is Joshua, and Joshua is the high priest. And uh, even though this division is, is kind of a modern division, just to give you some idea of the relationship between Zerubbabel and Joshua in this uh, in this place, is that Zerubbabel would sort of be the, the secular authority, and Joshua would be the religious authority. Now, they wouldn't have divided it up as clear-cut as that, but that is basically the way things were here. And so Haggai has been told to give this message that God wants, he demands, that the temple be rebuilt. And so he's going, first of all, to these two people who have a special role, uh, Zerubbabel as the governor and Joshua as the high priest. And I love what it says there. It says that God stirred their spirit, stirred their spirit. There, there's something uh, just uh, amazing about that. Um, our daughter, Faith, uh, she loves to have uh, hot chocolate. Even It doesn't matter if you, even if it's the hottest day of the summer. She loves to have hot chocolate. But there's a big difference when I make hot chocolate for her and when she makes hot chocolate for uh, herself. Uh, when I make hot chocolate, uh, when she's done, the, the, the cup is in pretty good shape. It looks good. It just needs a little, uh, just to be washed and, uh, there's not much left in there. But when she makes her hot chocolate, there is a layer of chocolate <laughs> at the bottom like that. She just does not stir it. There's a difference there when things are stirred properly. And God stirs the spirit of Zerubbabel and of Joshua to get them going, to remind them of their their role, their responsibility. He he gets the uh, their spirit burning with pa- <clears throat> with passion to accomplish their goal. And it even says that God stirred the spirit of the people because it wasn't enough for Zerubbabel and Joshua to catch the vision of this new temple. The people needed to be involved as well. And so God speaks through Haggai to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to the people, saying the temple must get built. So we're not going to focus on the, the later part of it, but spoiler alert, the temple does get built. So in case you're worried about if that happens or not, it does get built. But we're not going to focus on that. 
we're going to take a look at what this means for us today. Because there is no temple in Jerusalem right now. But that doesn't mean that this isn't relevant to us today. In fact, even when the temple was still existing during the time of the New Testament, when it was still there in Jerusalem, the early Christians were beginning to reinterpret what the temple was. And there was a couple of interpretations, but one of the main ones was that the church was God's temple. And by church, I don't mean the building, because there were no church buildings. I think that if we were able to go back in time and to talk to some of those early Christians uh, in the first century and to show them pictures of our building, that they would be absolutely amazed. They couldn't believe that you would, first of all, have an amazing building uh, like we have, but that we would have a building at all because they met in homes and you could only have worshiping at a time however many you could fit in a particular home and their homes were not near the size of the homes that we have today. So it was not about a church building. It was about the people. The people back then and today are the church and the church is the temple. How does the church the temple? Well, the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. That's why you could offer sacrifices in that place. Well, the church is the place where God dwells as well, because his Holy Spirit is here in the midst of us. The Holy Spirit is in each one of us as individuals, but is also present when we gather corporately for worship. And so that's one way for us to understand what the temple is. And I believe that the command that was given to Zerubbabel and to Joshua to rebuild the temple is still relevant today when we think about the church and our role in being a part of it. And so what I'd like to suggest is there are five ways in which we can be involved in building God's house here in this place. And again, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the church, the congregation, the the work that God is doing in this community. So the the first part that I want to mention is the fact that we can give money. Now, I want to tell you, I do not like preaching on money. Uh, When I was, uh, uh, before I went into ministry and I sat in the congregation, I always dreaded it when the pastor talked about money. And even now as a pastor, I don't like preaching about money. But the fact is, Money is required in order for us to do ministry. We have this building, which is not only beautiful, but it is useful. We have people coming into this place. We've had people for the last 20 years sleeping in this place. Uh, We have had people come here uh, to find community, to find fellowship, who have been able to enjoy uh, good meals. So uh, last night when we were uh, having our meal time, I was sitting beside this this young girl, and the way she was gobbling down her sloppy joes, it looked to me like she hadn't eaten in a while. She was really eager to, to eat. And that's because we have been giving money to keep this building going. But it's not just about the building. We give money for ministry as well. Uh, well, I mean, the, uh, the church building is involved in ministry, but other ministries outside 
of this building, we give to as well. And we are able to make a difference only because people have been willing to give. And it is, I realize, uh, a stretch sometimes when you look at how much money you have left over at the end of the month. What do you do with that? How do you uh, figure out where the money goes and where it doesn't? We need to invest in God's kingdom to the best of our ability. And I realize that there are people out there who think that the church is money hungry. In fact, just uh, just recently I saw on Twitter someone had commented that uh, churches are all about uh, getting rich. And uh, I thought, you have no idea what you're talking about. First of all, we are not rich. And the money that we use goes out to ministry almost immediately. We put in so much to make a difference in people's lives. But money is one way in which we can give. But there are other ways for us to give as well. That includes our time. At a uh, previous church, there was a, uh, a man who uh, started attending. His name was John. And I remember him coming up to me one day and saying, uh, Steve, I really don't have a lot of money. I'm on a fixed income. Uh, I uh, Most of my money goes to my rent. I just don't have a lot of money. But I am willing to donate my time. And boy, did he donate his time. Uh, when uh, I would arrive at the church uh, on during the week or on a Sunday, uh, guaranteed the snow would be shoveled. And where we were, where this church was, there was a lot of snow, and it just kept on snowing uh, for a lot longer than it does here in St. Catharines. And he would be there to make that happen. Uh, he would be there to run the elevator, not just on Sunday mornings, uh, but for any event that was happening during the week. He was there all the time. It, it felt like he was at the church more often than uh, than I was. And in fact, uh, we ended up finding out that he had died only because he didn't show up to uh, do the elevator. Because normally he was there really early, and we looked, and where's John? He happened to live behind the uh, the church building. And so we went over to uh, his home, uh, went inside, and there he was. He had died at his computer desk uh, that night. Otherwise, he would have been there at the church. We need people who will donate their time. And Amanda talked this morning about uh, the ways we can volunteer. And there is a, uh, a way for you to sign up right after the service, right over in the, in the back there, if you are able to donate time for Saturday nights. But maybe Saturday nights don't work for you. Well, there are all kinds of things that we're doing here at the church. We need people to be involved in helping run the projection. Uh, we have uh, needs for people to be involved in music for reading scripture, for being greeters, for being ushers. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways in which we can donate our time. And that is very important. The third thing that we can give is that of our talents. And this is something that brings us back to the story of Haggai. When we look at this, this is pretty neat, and I don't think that I had really looked at it that carefully before, but if you look at that group of Haggai, Zerubbabel, and Joshua, each of them is bringing something totally different to the table. We have a prophet, a governor, and a priest. They all have different gifts, different abilities, different experience, and together they are bringing it all so that they can accomplish God's mission. Well, each one of us has a gift. 
And if there is something that you have a passion to do, that you have gifts to do, that we have not asked you about, come and talk to us. Uh, our uh, goal for ministry here in this church is not to find positions and then just plug in breathing people into all those positions. That's not what we want. We want to empower the people in the gifts that God has given you to operate in those gifts. That's really the the vision for this church. And so come and talk to us about that. If there is something that uh, you are gifted in doing, we will find a way to put that into practice. One way that we can be involved in building God's house is through prayer. And perhaps I should have had this as the very first one. And the beautiful thing about prayer is that we are not limited uh, in terms of uh, uh, not having enough money. So you can't come to me and say, sorry, uh, Steve, I'd like to pray for you, but uh, you know my income is really tight right now. Well, it doesn't have any bearing on that at all. Even for people who are not uh, very strong physically or uh, don't have good health, you're still able to pray. We had a lady, again, at a previous church who was dying. And her dying was over a period of a couple of years. We were watching her continually deteriorate. And yet she was a prayer warrior. In fact, she was happy when she would be sent into the hospital because that would give her all kinds of things to pray about. She would pray about pray for the people who were in her room. She would pray for the nurses. She would pray for the doctors. She saw her uh, inability to do other things as the opportunity for her to invest more time in prayer. And so there's no one here who is unable to be involved in prayer. And then the last thing that we can be uh, bring to build God's house is our relationships. Uh, it's not enough just for us to gather into a room and sing a bunch of songs and hear a Bible lesson. We need to have relationships. What happened when that person came to Jesus and said, what, what's the greatest commandment? He said, uh, to love God and to love our neighbors. And so we are loving God as we pray and as we sing and as we do all of these things, but we need to love our neighbors. And that includes the people who come here on a Sunday. There's a difference between a friendly church and a welcoming church. And I believe that we are both a friendly church and a welcoming church, but it's something that we have to be watching for, being willing to welcome people, no matter uh, where they're coming from, what they look like, what they sound like, anything else. Everyone needs to be welcome here. We also need to seek to support each other in the congregation, we all have our needs. And it is great that we are able to to come alongside and to help people in their time of need. Uh, in uh, I mentioned that one of the ways in which we can look at the temple is the temple as the church. And that actually comes from a passage in 1 Corinthians. And in that passage, Paul is warning about what will happen to those who destroy the temple of God. 
And what he's specifically talking about there is about division in relationships that were going on in that church. And the destroying of the temple of God was the people who were acting in improper ways, uh, creating division, uh, hurting people in relationships. And we have got to be careful about that. We can be destructive uh, either actively by gossiping or uh, saying bad things about people, or we can be destructive passively by just refusing to get involved, uh, seeing that lonely person and not being willing to go and talk to them and, and to spend time with them. So these are the things that we have to be aware of. As you know, uh, for our church building, we have been involved in doing renovations that we have uh, had our part of our roof replaced. Uh, we've been working in the family room. It looks beautiful if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, there's still some work to be done, but it looks so much better. And there are more changes that are coming as well. Renovations to this church building. We want to take care of this church building, but it's only a building. Even more important than that, we need to be able to take care of this church. Just as with the building, that we look at, well, where are the points of weaknesses? What do we need to fix? As well as what can we improve so it's more efficient? We can do the same thing when it comes to the church, God's house, the people who are gathered here. We can figure out, well, where are our weaknesses? Where are we not doing as well as we could do? And what can we do to make things better? We need to be thinking about that. And what I want to ask is, what is God stirring your spirit to do? I'm not asking you to do all five of those things. I'm not asking you to double your tithes and offerings, plus volunteer for about five ministries, uh, plus uh, take guitar lessons, plus uh, do a, a 10-hour prayer meeting every week, uh, plus uh, personally mentoring everyone in this church. I'm not saying that. I'm asking you, when you look at those different things, what is God stirring your spirit to? And I want to leave that with you and ask, what are you doing to help build God's church in this place? Let us pray. God, I thank you for the house of God. I thank you for uh, each person who is here, those who are away, uh, those of our fellowship who are not able to come out, that you would be with all of us, that we are so much more than just a building. We are your house here where your presence dwells. And we ask that you would stir our spirits, that you would speak to each one of us as to what our role should be in building your house in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.